0: from the laboratories of Your Name Here had come the key to the secret that had baffled man through the ages. No longer a dream, but a reality was Your Product Here. A brighter future unfolded thanks to Your Name Here. Employment boom. Not only in the vast modern facilities of your name here, but in factories everywhere, geared to supply this vital new industry that is reshaping our economy and transforming the lives of millions.
1: This episode of Diffusion Science Radio is supported by you, the listener. Make a donation directly to www.diffusionradio.com. Sit back and relax while we inject weird and wonderful science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, breakfast robots and advanced students at Tech My Way. But first up, here's the news Zoom in. Contact lenses with Zoom first developed for the U.S. military, will be made available for clinical trials this year to be tried by civilians suffering impaired vision. The lenses have silvered mirror rings in the centre surrounding a hole, much like a reflective Newtonian telescope. Light hits a ring of curved mirror and is reflected out towards another mirror to be reflected in towards the eye with a magnified image. The telescope magnifies 2.8 times. A clear circle in the centre of the two reflective rings can let light pass through directly, unmagnified. The contact lenses come with a pair of smart glasses that let you switch between magnified and normal vision. The researchers suggest that people with age-related macular degeneration may benefit the most from using this vision enhancement system, which could help them recognise faces and read text. Worldwide, there are over 285 million people suffering age-related macular degeneration. The prototypes are rigid scleric lenses with aluminium mirrors and plastic polarising filters. They're made with air channels a tenth of a millimetre thick, so that the eyes can still breathe. A wink with one eye switches the magnified vision on, and a wink with the other eye switches it off. Blinking is ignored. The way this works is that there's two light openings on the lenses. The glasses switch between only allowing light polarized one way to go through the telescopic lens opening, or light polarized the opposite way to go through the plain plastic opening using a system adapted from stereo 3D glasses. After clinical trials, the team will work with contact lens manufacturers to use soft contact lens material. The prototype was unveiled by Eric Tremblay from the École Polytechnique Fédérale de Lausanne in Switzerland at the American Association for the Advancement of Science annual meeting in California last week. The funding comes from the U.S. military's Defence Advanced Research Projects Agency, who want the technology to give soldiers and pilots enhanced vision. The team tested the newly designed lens on a life-size model eyeball that captured images, as well as using computer modelling. They hope to have the lenses on sale in two years' time. I'm in awe of how clever an idea this is. Putting a miniature reflective telescope onto a contact lens must have required some very lateral thinking. Of course, it would be amazing for those of us without macular degeneration to have the zoom lenses available on the market to us as well possibly with a prescription lens. Am I the only person who find themselves trying to pinch-zoom the world for a closer look? You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. On Wednesday last week, Inspiring Australia held the first of their talks by early career scientists at the Customs House Library near Circular Quay. Cameron Clark is a scientist within the Faculty of Veterinary Science at the University of Sydney and is based at the Camden campus he gave a talk entitled robots and breakfast i caught up with him after his talk in the library's reading room you can hear some traffic noise in the background i began by asking him what is the connection between robots and breakfast
3: i guess the connotation to our breakfast was milk so a lot of a lot of the work that i do is in dairy in dairy science so What I say is that there are a lot of repetitive tasks within dairy farming, so the figures that are out there suggest that about 50% of a dairy farmer's day is on repetitive tasks, so that's milking cows. So a lot of our work is focused around automatic milking systems, so we don't have to milk cows by hand anymore. And so automatic milking machines have been around for how long? Uh, Well, in Australia they've been around since about 2001, 2002, so relatively new. Um, but they're rapidly getting uh, uptake in the industry here. Not only the automatic milking systems are getting uptake, but a lot of the sensing technology also is is becoming more popular on our farms, basically because our farm sizes have increased so rapidly. So we've got a lot of cows uh, on a farm. So we've got around 300 cows per farm in New South Wales at the moment, but there are some farms that are over 1,000 cows per farm. So technology is playing a big role on those, on those farms, not just to milk the cows in terms of automatic milking systems, but also to, to monitor the cows in terms of health as well.
1: And how complex are these sort of robots?
3: They're complex, but I guess the, the beauty is in their um, simplicity of operation. Um, I mean, the farmers really don't have to touch the robots at all. They're very, very robust on farm i mean what they're doing is a very very repetitive task so they're basically taking a cluster of cups so they're the that's the equipment that we use to actually attach to the other of the cow to milk the cow and then it retracts again so it's doing a very very repetitive task similar to if you think about a car production line so you've got the cars going along the production line you've got a car you've got a robot in there riveting or doing something like this our our robots are milking cows but we've also um, what that technology introduces, though, and this is going to be a big thing for the future, is that it actually introduces a lot of data uh, into our system. So we're collecting a whole heap of data that our farmers really aren't using uh, as well as they could. So we're actually collaborating with people in the University of Sydney from the School of Physics and the School of Engineering as well to make better use of that data, if you like. So asking questions like, can we detect uh, cows earlier with health problems? Just by, say, looking at the milk yield data through time. Um, Can we look at feeding the cows better? Are there better cows to feed different rations and things like that? So, yeah, it's exciting times for agriculture and and applying technology from fields outside of agriculture as well, like military and mining. Mm. So how did the cows take to being milked
1: by robots, to being in a production line?
3: they take very well actually, the robots we all know are very good at doing repetitive tasks and doing them consistently and cows love that. They like knowing what's going to happen when they go into the dairy. So every single time that a cow goes into the dairy, the exact same thing happens. Robots don't get cranky either as well. So you know that if a cow kicks the the milky equipment off, um, the robot will just come back and attach the cups again. So very um, consistent and what I'd say is the cows love it. So. Just like a very good milker, so uh, if you're like a human milking cows, the, they don't mind being milked by a robot as well. If not, sometimes they might prefer it. Hmm, so no surprises. Is no, what they no like. exactly, exactly, no surprises. The cow, cow loves a routine, they do a very, very similar thing every day, and anything that stuffs that routine up, really a uh, cow doesn't like at all because she's got her set process. She, she wants to know what's going to happen next just like us I guess we don't really sometimes we don't like surprises other than uh, birthdays or things like that but we don't really like surprises as well we like sometimes we like consistency as well and the cows are similar.
1: And you're talking about getting information so does this apply to planting crops as well or is it mainly about cattle?
3: Definitely I mean there's a whole I mean, the whole precision agriculture um, space is, is really huge at the moment in cropping I mean you've got um, auto auto steer tractors so they're, they're tractors now that farmers still sit in them read their paper but they're actually steering themselves around farms now and, and planting and harvesting. so what that introduces is, is efficiency. you don't get any overlap in terms of when a tractor is planting you don't get seeds being overlapped it's very very precise so there's an efficiency of resource use there as well. It's all yeah it's massive in the plant world as well also for nutrient application. We're also looking at uh, better ways to apply nutrient on our farms as well. Locate the areas that um, respond optimally to any fertilizer input as well. And that's good for both the farmer and both for the environment as well because we don't lose as much nutrient. So that means you're
1: recording how well the crops are doing when they're harvested
3: and then using that information to work out what nutrients to put next time, is that it? So in cropping, that's what they do. So they'll have basically something that's on the harvester and actually records the, say, the grain yield every metre of the paddock. So they'll know the, the response to a nutrient input and then they can optimise the nutrient uh, application the next time. But for pasture, our cows are grazing the pasture every, say, 20 or 30 days, so it's much more uh, frequent. So we're, we're looking at applying sensors on autonomous vehicles to actually go over our paddocks, work out, say, for nitrogen, the, the greenness, the relative greenness of the paddock because we know that a majority of the nitrogen in a plant comes from chlorophyll chlorophyll is what gives it the, the greenness so we can go across and if you like see how much chlorophyll is in the plant through its greenness and then apply nitrogen to say the yellower areas uh, of the field every time you hear on tv them talking about applying drones to farming are they used in australia for anything
1: to help farmers
3: yeah so we've had a lot of um, interest in the the use of drones around particularly for the more extensive systems say in, in queensland where a lot of the mustering that's the herding of cattle up there happens by helicopter now, having a helicopter operating is, is a very costly thing so there's some interest there in terms of sending drones up to actually work out the cows are so that the human helicopter work is more efficient so you actually know where the animals are and you can go straight to straight to the source there's also other, other things as well. I mean, I talked about autonomous vehicles, working out the, if you like, the greenness of pasture. We can also do that by drones. And, and that's actually a little bit more efficient when you're in the air and you can do multiple farms at a time using similar sensing technology as well. So there's multiple ways to, if you like, cut the cake, depending on the task at hand. But drones are becoming increasingly used in Australian agriculture.
1: So are there other ways that robots affect breakfast? <laughs>
3: Oh, that's a That's a tough question. Other ways that other ways that robots affect robots, well, I mean, they're not going to. Uh, other than uh, picking up a spoon and actually delivering <laughs> the, the cereal into our mouth, I think robots are really there to take out the repetitive tasks um, that are out there. I mean, we're us as humans. I mean, I tell my children all the time, don't get into get into a job where you know it's doing the same thing over and over again because and if because I, I bet your bottom dollar that the engineers are working out a way to actually automate that. So we as humans, you know, we've got a lot of thinking power at the top. And that's that's where the future is, using our brains to work out cleverer ways to do things.
1: No, they've even got robots trying to automate journalism.
3: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll be, be a tough gig, I tell you, to answer questions from a robot. <laughs> but I just really uh, encourage any of your listeners to... To get in contact with me, and perhaps the, the contact de- the email contact details could be on the on the on a site somewhere where they could access. If not, I'm sure you could uh, let them know what the, my email address is. Sure. Uh, is there a website they can look as well? Yeah, you can go onto the University of Sydney website and search for for my name, uh, mm-hmm. Cameron Clark. On there, um, you'll see a whole heap of information there. Not only from the veterinary faculty which I'm in. Uh, from across the other schools of engineering, physics and things like that, there's a whole heap of interesting stuff out there that your listeners can can have a look at. Well
1: Cameron Clark, thank you very much.
3: All no right it's a pleasure.
1: That was Cameron Clark talking about robots on the farm. If you'd like to contact Cameron, I'll put his details on the diffusion webpage for this episode. On March 11th at Ultimo Library, discover the role cholesterol plays in helping our cells go about their day-to-day business with Dr. Blake Cochrane, And learn why the microbial communities in your gut are beneficial to your health with Dr. Mark Reed. On Friday last week, I went to the Lenovo Tech My Way event for inspiring talks about innovation by product engineer and actor Ashton Kutcher. Marita Ching, founder of RoboGals and 2MAR Robotics, and Cameron Parker, founder of Black Milk, which make very popular lycra tights with amazing colour prints for women. At the door, they collected my water bottle, demanded any food I might be carrying, and that I cloak my recorder and my brand new microphone. I was not allowed to interview anyone inside, Yet they encourage people to take photos with their phones and to tweet and Instagram the event. After the event, I joined Jim Cook and Rosie Menzies from the University of Sydney in an outdoor cafe. Rosie Menzies is a science undergraduate student in the University of Sydney's Talented Student Program, working with Jim Cook and the innovation team. She's been working with a programmer to learn to create tools for use in the lab. Jim Cook is the innovation leader at the University of Sydney, running the Innovation Tech Lab, which is a place for research and development into technology that could change the way the university works in its learning and teaching and research. I began by asking Rosie what she's been working on.
0: So first semester I was in a group project, which is working on the NeuroSky MindWave Headset, which is basically utilising the brainwaves, like a simple electroencephalogram, to control a DJ launchpad, it's basically a musical instrument for disabled people. So it was really awesome interacting with Tech Lab, that's how I met them all. And then, second semester, I went on to do an individual project with them on eye tracking. So, similar p- programming in Python and getting my skills in that. And then we designed a practical for ophthalmology labs at the university to basically designing a user interface for the students to be able to understand saccades and smooth the suit at a high level because they're still using the electro which is a really basic device, so basically increasing learning through more up-to-date technology. And is
1: it usual for first-year students to jump in with design like that?
0: One of the best things about Sydney University is, the, is the, the fact that we have a talented student program, which basically means they encourage people who get, you know, what they see is really high marks, so like 99 plus in each city, or high distinction average, and they encourage them to actually speak to professors and find research opportunities. So it's not something that many universities do and you have to be really proactive to get it, which is the main reason I came to the University of Sydney.
2: So the University of Sydney prides itself on its long history of great research, but there's a really interesting crossover in that we're also an education facility, and should we not encourage students to come in and do research through part of their undergraduate work? So, particularly in the Faculty of Science, the Talented Student Program is a really good way to get students into a research way of thinking. So looking at a problem from different perspectives and then looking at ways to attack that problem I'm just lucky enough that I get to participate in the technology side of it and the research that comes out of it is absolutely incredible.
1: And so I noticed both your projects are focusing on things that can help people with disabilities.
0: Yeah so we wanted to do something that not only would benefit us but would also benefit other people. So that was kind of a focus of the first project and the second one was more focused on education rather than, so it's two sides of things that I'm really interested in and wanted to try both of them to see you know, what was more to my taste and they were both really awesome so I'm still undecided.
1: And are you doing a general science degree or are you yeah. specialised?
0: Oh, so just a Bachelor of Advanced Science and then Medicine. So right now focusing on research and then medical research would be ultimately the integration of medicine and technology is what I'm mostly interested in.
1: How many years of study is all that?
0: Well, it'll end up being about 12 with specialising. So, long road ahead.
1: It's a big commitment.
0: Yeah, well, I think that medicine is one of the most amazing things to do. And integrating with technology, which is my other interest, is like one of the only way I can see to be able to do two things that I really love.
1: Jim, you're involved with the Innovation Lab.
2: Yeah, that's right. Innovation Lab's a facility we set up at the University of Sydney about two and a half years ago because there's a distinct gap, I think, in higher education and research between The way technology is moving, we're creating all these great technologies at universities, we're inventing the latest and greatest things, but they're not getting reincorporated back into the lab and into the classroom. So I'm looking for ways that I can use technology to augment the student experience and the researcher experience. We are pretty lucky with with Rosie's group in that there are off-the-shelf products that we could sort of start to use, but the universities are notoriously slow to adopt new technologies, which is mind-boggling.
0: So today, Jim invited me to the Lenovo Tech My Way, and that was really awesome because there were three main speakers, one of which I could really relate to. She was a Woman doing research in robotics, and she developed an organisation to provide engineering to women, which I think is really important because, like everything she was speaking about, how women have limited opportunities, and therefore there are limited women in in engineering, is something that like all my friends and I notice, and is actually one of the reasons that I didn't do engineering and stuck to science because there's a larger cohort of females. Felt like it's better to be able to be around people that you have more interest So I think what she's doing is really awesome. Her name's Marisa Cheng and um, we're actually intending to contact her because we were thinking we saw what her research did and we saw, you know, we could really contribute to that and I personally would love to do that because she's someone who I align my morals with and I think she's doing some awesome work. So it's good to see her, someone being proactive just out of university and making a difference, that's really inspiring.
1: And she was founder of RoboGals and also Tumar Robotics.
2: I tweeted about it. I did too. <laughs>
1: And yet we did not win the tablets.
2: Yet, yet we did not.
1: So at Tech My Way there was Ashton Kutcher, Marita Ching, and Cameron Parker from Black Milk. Tuma Robotics, Marita Ching. So yeah, so, so she was amazing, and she's trying to get girls into engineering by making it relevant and accessible.
0: Yeah, so it's really awesome. She showed us photos of her workshops where she was going around to schools and doing, you know, robotics related to medicine, robotics relating to agriculture, all types of things. I think it's really awesome because when you're in school, you don't really understand the applications of the things you're learning. And it's really important to be able to show people that, you know, what this is doing is not only really fun, but also you can make a difference. And if that's what you love, then that's awesome. And I thought that was really inspiring. So I would love to work with her and that's what we're planning on trying to contact her.
1: So Marita spoke about how difficult it is to get women into engineering and how that's a big focus of RoboGals, did that affect you? Because some of what you're doing is engineering and some of it's science and programming and a whole lot of things together. You didn't choose to study engineering.
0: I did science because I wanted a more rounded background, but engineering is something that I definitely consider. But, you know, seeing her, all the people that came to my school to encourage us to do engineering were men, and it was very much like, you know, we, have, we want women in engineering, but it was no like, here I can relate to you about my experience and I can tell you why you should do engineering from a woman's perspective. And it was really awesome hearing her speak and be like, this is my experience as a woman in engineering and how being a woman has actually had an advantage in that I've been able to speak to other women and make a difference. So I think that's really awesome using like something that see people's see as an advantage, being the minority in an industry and actually using it to advantage and being able to make a greater difference. It's, it's really important.
2: Anything to add? How can I add to that? That was pretty impressive. We recently attended a conference down in Canberra hosted by the Office of the Chief Scientist and they talked about getting more women into, into STEM fields, into science, technology, engineering, mathematics and there's been a gradual decline even over the past three years of women going into those sort of roles and I think that Merida um, uh, today has just uh, really triggered, the the hit the nail on the head that if you give them real world scenarios to understand how that can be applied that they will do it and I think what she's doing is actually wonderful and I hope we can uh, work with her and contribute in some small way.
1: And that that sort of sounds to me like it feeds a little bit. When Ashton Kutcher was talking, one of the things he was talking about was asking smart questions to reveal problems that you can then solve. And it seems to me that making things relevant to people is the way to get them to ask the smart questions.
2: Well absolutely, I mean Part of what we do at the University of Sydney is tying in real-world solutions and real-world problems into the undergraduate research places. So the work that Rosie did, for example, with disability and accessibility and things like that. These are real-world problems that they're faced with. If you make it very theoretical, while we still need theorists in the world, absolutely, polymath, right? (laughs) <laughs> we need the theoretical but the application is so important now especially as we're facing big global problems and I think Ashton spoke to that when he talked about global warming type things and when he talked about you know the big medicine pieces and things like that they're the problems we're trying to solve and if we're not asking relevant questions to people who are going through to do these science careers or these engineering careers then we're not teaching the right things. So
0: this semester Aston Kutcher mentioned in the um, talk actually which made Jim and I look at each other you know how the amazing emergence of VR and AR, so virtual reality and augmented reality which is like just an amazing field and has so much potential so right now that's what um, I'm working on, these holidays in preparation for a semester I've, we've been, you know, learning how to use Unity, which is the software for Oculus, and actually bu- um, hacking up the Oculus Rift to implement eye trackers, which is really awesome because virtual reality is, you know, infinite possibilities. You can put anyone in any scenario you want, and therefore manipulate them. And if you have eye trackers, that can be used as an objective indicator of what they're seeing, what they're feeling, and what they're thinking. So that's really awesome. So I'm doing a project on trying to treat chronic pain patients. So like people who, the the first. Um, people are dealing with the people who feel that their arm is red and swollen and like actually see that and feel that as a really intense pain but there's no symptoms there and so you know some people don't recognize it as a as an, an important thing but it actually affects like so many people's lives and this has a huge area of development that wouldn't have no real cure for like even the medication that we give to someone who had the same symptoms obviously is often is less effective so we're using virtual reality to actually change their perception which is like could be where it all stems from but even like using virtual reality to show that if we reveal that it is perception, that brings about more opportunities for treatment. So even this is like a first step, which is really awesome and interesting to see how do these people, how does this pain actually come about? Not only will it reveal more about the you know, human brain and the body, but it will also reveal the possibilities of virtual reality. So I'm really excited about that.
1: Well, Rosie, Jim, thank you very much.
2: You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome, thanks.
1: That was Rosie Menzies and Jim Cook from the University of Sydney, talking about the Talented Student Program, the Innovation Lab, and the Tech My Way talks. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Would you like to hear your voice on Diffusion? Would you like to join us? We need more people contributing stories to Diffusion. You can send your contributions, opinions, congratulations, standing ovations, gasps of amazement, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. And please do send me an email so I know you're listening and you'd like to hear more episodes. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Checking production was Charles Willock. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia on the community radio network, including two Triple H in Hornsby, Karengai, two NVR in Nambucca Valley, two X in Canberra, and three MBR in the Mallee border districts of Victoria and South Australia. Diffusion is syndicated globally on the National Science Foundation's Science360 internet radio station and also on astronomy.fm. You can now hear Diffusion on Stitcher. Radio on demand and on the go. Download the free app from Stitcher.net and review Diffusion. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links and photos about this week's show. Ask your local radio station to broadcast Diffusion. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.